1: It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome
0: to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, podcast episode number 64, Thursday, March 23rd. There can't be a more important guest on earth right now than our next guest. We'll start the show right away with the great Jay Wright. Hello, Jay. Hey, Mikey Miss,
3: how are you, buddy? Great to be with you.
0: It, it is fantastic to be with you. I'm trying to figure out whether I'm more honored that you won a couple national championships as a coach or, or now that you're a media star. So uh, <laughs> let's 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 roll into the media thing. Got, and we'll talk some basketball, obviously, in a bit. But you're a hot commodity right now as the uh, NCAA tournament is going on. And uh, I've been really enjoying your work. You're getting... Great critical acclaim on the panel with Ernie and Seth Davis and Candace Parker. So uh, let me just ask you, because I know this has been a whirlwind for you. This is a busy time, and they got you doing a lot of stuff. What's TV World been like for you? It, it's fun. It's it's new. You know, I
3: know you've been doing this for a long time, so all this stuff is new to me. I'm learning um, a lot about about the job. This These last – from uh, – the week before selection Sunday to now, I'm in Atlanta now. Has been a lot of work. Still not as much work as coaching, but before that, I was just doing one game a week, which was pretty cool. It was fun just going out and doing games. Um, you know, you can prepare during the week and and you get there the day before the game and watch practice and meet the coaches. That that was that was a lot of fun. This has been pretty intense here. Um, in atlanta and i'm going back to new york for saturday sunday so it's it's all new to me honestly mikey i'm learning i'm learning the business
0: all right so you'll be on tonight Yes. Okay, you, you'll be on the panel tonight uh, as the uh, uh, Switch 16 re- resumes tonight. Now, I'm noticing that people can't see. This is an audio-only podcast right now, but you, uh, you, you'll pretty yourself up by the night. You got the stubble going this morning, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 you'll know, you're, you're clean it up. You'll, you you get to choose suits again, which is amazing because, yeah. you know, when you were coaching last, you had the so on, and you got a little more casual. Now you're popping the outfits out again.
3: Yeah, you got to do I- – Last week I came down here. I'm in Atlanta now. As I said, last week I came down here um, Monday Monday night. So we were on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So six suits, man. I would like I never, you know, Big East tournament. I used to pack five suits. You know, this this was six suits. It's it's the packing that's getting me, not choosing the suits. It's the packing and and
0: and you know, not getting them messed up on the travel. Uh, this is really interesting because listen, uh, you're a great a preparer for your opponent. Uh, but I, I assume you've got to watch even more film now on, on these teams. Cause you've got to know every team, especially when the field of 64 was out there. And it my, I, it is amazing. Your recall with coaches history, you know exactly where these guys have coached before and have come from. I guess that's ingrained in you, but what's the preparation been like? Is it been, is it different prep for TV than it was for a coach?
3: Yeah. That's, what's been real interesting, Mike. Um, So the part about coaching, it just comes natural because in our business, we all, you know, we all talk to each other about jobs, you know, like where were you, who were you an assistant for, where did you start? So that stuff kind of comes natural, which is really cool. Um, But preparing for games, it is, it's a lot of film, like, you know, going into the NCAA tournament, I hadn't, I hadn't seen FDU play I hadn't seen Florida Atlantic play I hadn't seen Kennesaw State I hadn't seen Texas Corpus Christi you know so you, you know so you go to uh, Synergy you go to Hoop One and you watch you watch film on them you know or you talk to coaches that, that's that been fun like talking to coaches I've got certain coaches in, in each league that I know that I talk to because you can still watch film but just to really get a feel for what the team's trying to do, it's better to talk to coaches. So I've, I've been able to do that, but it's, it's still not as intense as putting together a game plan to beat somebody, to try to beat somebody. So it's not, you can get a general feel for what are they trying to do, their personnel. But when you're trying to, watch film to beat somebody you got to know exactly what they're going to do what they're going to do in every situation so it's not as intense
0: all right let's look at this tournament because one of the things that uh, reaches out to me following and covering college basketball these years it seems to me that the number one seeds aren't as strong as they used to be and the lower seeds are stronger than they used to be and here's what I notice when you're a favorite team and you're a higher seed and that other team stays in the game because they're playing with their hair on fire they've got nothing to lose the higher seed team gets squeezed a little bit. They get a little, uh, you know. Oh my God, we can't lose this game, and they completely abandon what made them good. Now, I I definitely think you're right. I think um,
3: the pressure in this tournament, um, and it's something that we used to try to take off of our guys at at Villanova everybody knows you get evaluated by how you perform in this tournament. Like you look at the season Purdue had, and, and now all of a sudden Matt Painter can't coach, you know, because he's he's lost in the second round a couple of times. Um, and the players feel that, you know, they, they feel like everything we've done during the season doesn't matter. This is the only thing that matters. Everything I'm going to be evaluated on is this tournament. And the higher seeds feel that going down the stretch. And the lower seeds with the transfer portal – and this, and having gone through COVID, have older guys now who are not intimidated playing these higher-seeded teams. And some of these higher-seeded teams have young guys, too, like Purdue had young guards, freshman guards. So it's it's a really interesting dynamic. One of the things in that regard that's kind of cool is this Florida Atlantic team has sophomores. They've got – they're three best players – they play nine guys, but I think their three best players are sophomores, and and the rest are juniors. They don't have many seniors. It, it's it, they kind of go against this this theory of older teams, which all the other teams are are, are mostly made up of older players.
0: Uh- all right. So uh, in, in in the Sweet 16 now, and you've been looking at these teams. I mean, I don't know who has the edge. I can't call it anymore. But you know, uh, a, a lot of people like uh, Alabama, but, uh, uh, you know, Michigan State is back in there making a run. And uh, uh, Tennessee and then and, and you got, uh, you know, UCLA still in there and Miami surprising. When you when you look at the at the final teams that are left, who's got the edge here? To your earlier point, Mike, there's not the separation. The the one team that
3: is talent wise kind of separates themselves, similar to you know some of the teams in the past, some of those great Kentucky teams or great Duke teams, or is is Alabama. But but they're young. Those those guys are young. Um, Brandon Miller is is a is a freshman, and he's the best player. Uh, Jaquan um
0: javon Quinterly is their senior really the only senior who you recruited by the way yeah we have you recruited j javon Quinterly well it's interesting like what do you when you look at him playing for a couple other school, schools what's that feel like yeah it's it's it's
3: good because when he left he played for us for one year and it was one of those situations that um we you know, when he came in, we knew it was going to be a challenge for him to kind of fit into our culture, and we talked about it. We said, you know, let's try it, you know, because he was going to go to Arizona first, and then that fell apart, so he kind of came back to us. We said, let's try it. And at the end of the year, we, we really said, like, look, this – you're trying. He tried. He really tried. Our place is a unique place. It's tough academically and basketball, as we said. You know, this just doesn't fit. So we really helped him with Alabama. We actually tried to help them not have to sit out a year, and it was a good fit for them, and it, and it worked out perfect. That's what you want for these guys, you know? So it worked out well. But to your uh, original question about these teams, like
0: – How hard is it to tell a player that he doesn't fit in, Jay? Uh,
3: it's hard. It's really hard. But it you have a relationship with your players that that they know you're you're constantly evaluating. You're talking about it all the time. Where are they going with their future? How are they – developing within the program you're talking about it almost every day so it's not like it's not like you just you know you go out for practice go to games and then at the end of the season you sit down and say okay let's let's talk about where you fit in you're talking about it every day of their lives so we we were kind of sensing it through the season he was sensing it and then you know and we there was a couple times during the season we said look just keep keep busting it out you're doing a great job keep because he wasn't getting a lot of playing time be a positive influence on a team and then you know at the end of the season we'll make a decision on what's best for you and and he really initially didn't want to go he didn't want to give up on it but we just you know we had Colin Gillespie and and we saw it was going to take him some time and it was just best for him and and we you know if he wanted to stay we were good with him staying we we loved the kid but just it was going to take him some time to play and um because when he made his decision we didn't know Colin Gillespie Colin Gillespie was going to be Colin Gillespie when he made his decision to come. So that's what you try to do. You want it to, you want guys that are there that feel good about being there, and and then they don't feel like they're stuck there. So it, it worked out well for both of us. It really did. Jay,
0: you've been asked this a million times, So I'll ask you now. It's a, a year down the road. Um, why did you step away? What was the exact reason that you stepped away? Because a lot of people have theories, and I, I just want I wanted to come from you. Eventually, you you know the nil was coming, and the, the different recruiting, and it was going to mess up your whole, the way you hold you did things at Villanova. What was the exact reason? It was really that I just i I took a great responsibility
3: for everything at Villanova that was uh, that the the program was was responsible for, um you know the guys graduating on time, the guys, how they conducted themselves, how we competed, the level, the standard we held ourselves. I, I took that really how I conducted myself, you know, I took that really seriously i for a long time. And it was a lot of responsibility, and I just got to the point where I just didn't have, I didn't have the fire in me to keep all of that up. You know, just little things like I purposely, you know, during July recruiting, if I, you know, if I came back for a, a day and rested for a day in recruiting, like I wouldn't go out because I didn't want people to say like, "Yeah, we're paying this dude all this money. Why isn't he out recruiting?" You know, like I, 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 and I get it. I I wasn't against that. Like they paid me a lot of money and 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 it was a lot of responsibility. and And I loved every minute of it. And I just didn't feel like I had the fire to keep it at the level it was and to work the way I know you need to work to keep all those things in place at Villanova Because at Villanova, it's not it's not just winning games. it's it's how the players conduct themselves. It's the academics. It's a relationship with alumni, and I loved all of it, but I just didn't have that fire anymore.
0: Um, So let's – you know, as you're looking at this team, the year after you've stepped away, and they're struggling. Um, And I know you uh, are are a big fan of Kyle Neptunes, uh, but when you're watching the way Villanova played this year and you're watching the disappointment, and the fans are disappointed, obviously, because they're used to a certain standard – What's going through your head watching this whole thing? Oh, it was very difficult,
3: but I I understood it was a um, just a a perfect chain of events to, to to lead up to this season with you know Justin Moore's inj- injury. Um, you know, I, I was kind of making the decision before Justin Moore was hurt, and Justin Moore's injury, and then. Um, Cam Whitmore getting hurt at the time that he got hurt, miss he missed all of summer with USA basketball. Then he gets hurt right right during preseason practice, which he needed the most. Right. And all of the and then the big injury that nobody talks about is Jordan Longino. Even last year, when we were going into the Final Four, we felt, you know, you don't talk about this because nobody wants to hear your problems, but we didn't have Justin Moore going into that final four game against Kansas. But we felt if we would have had Jordan Longino, we would have been fine because he was our best one of our best defenders. But he was he had a knee injury too and he was out. So we going into that final four game, we didn't have Jordan Longino or Justin Moore. And then Jordan Longino gets hurt again this year. And he never, you know, he was on restricted minutes, couldn't practice. So it was it was it was really a difficult situation for Kyle coming in new with all these injuries. So I knew again, people don't want to hear that you, you, you you're supposed to just get it done. But I really felt for Kyle and mostly I was proud that they, they stuck together. They, Oh, they, ne- they never got blown out in the game. They battled in every game they fought to the end. And, and they stuck together, and that's the best you can do in that situation. Again, understanding that fans aren't going to like that, but in terms of how they handled it, I was proud
0: of them. Now, Cam Whitmer, let's, be, let's talk about him for a second. It was arguably he was the, the, the highest-profile player that, that you recruited. I've had many conversations with you before about the reluctance to cr- recruit one and duns unless they fit into the Villanova system. And this kid was picked to be the sixth pick in the draft uh, at, at, prior to even setting foot on, on a college campus. Um, But it looked like he he was, and I know he was injured, but it looked like for most of the season, he was very disengaged uh, to to playing and nothing ran through him. And it was kind of, you know, I don't know how good the kid is at this point. What what were your impressions and how does that, uh, you know, alter your thinking about the one and done thing?
3: For a place like Villanova, yeah. First of all, he's super talented. He really is. Uh, he's really good. He, he's going to be a. He's going to be a good NBA player. Um, secondly, in, in terms, of, I know what he looked like. He just. He's just one of those kids. He's real. He's real young. He's seventeen coming into school. So he chose Villanova, just to give you an example when NIL was just starting and other schools had put numbers in front of him you know, like this much money per year for four years. And we didn't have our NIL set up yet. And I and I said to him, you know, at that point when I was recruiting him, I said, look, you just, you're going to have to come to Villanova because you want to be a part of the program. You want to learn. And we're going to get our NIL going. I, I just can't tell you what it's going to be yet because we don't have it set up yet. And he still came. And uh, so he's, he's really young. He looked on the court like he was, like he was disengaged. It's just his personality. He's he's a wonderful kid. But he was struggling because he missed six weeks where he missed the whole – our summers are really big. He played for USA Basketball. He was, the, he was the MVP of USA Basketball. They won a gold medal. He missed the whole summer because he was he was gone. So he came back in the fall, started working out, got hurt, missed all that. So it was always a tough situation to integrate him into what we were doing because he didn't know what we were doing, but he was a talent, and you wanted to have him out there, so it was a really diff- It was another part of the the challenge this year, and and again, it, nobody wants to hear that. I'm just telling you the reality of it. It's why it looked like what it did, and I thought Kyle did a great job handling it. And to, to your final points, we it's it's all about getting the right people. You know, he didn't come in saying I'm going to be gone in one year. He came in and just said. Um, you know, I'm going to be there as long as I have to, but I want to be an NBA player. And then as soon as he started, as soon as he played USA basketball and he got the MVP, it was like, it was over. It was like, this kid's going to be, this kid's going to be a, you know, top 20 pick, no doubt. So that changed right away. And um, I I thought, again, it was very difficult. He handled it well. And and I think think he's going to be a first round pick.
0: He he probably is. I I guess my point is that, in a kid's mind he's that young and he's that highly projected and kids have a tendency to think well you know this is just a way stop for me so i don't really have to spill my bucket cuz i don't want to get hurt i'm going to protect myself so i just maybe try to survive this year and that's the way it looked when i watched him play
3: yeah no he it, it really wasn't that way i get it you know at the end with the NIT he did have he did have an injury um and it was a, again does he play with with the injury and, and force it, or, you know, he's in good shape. Does he not? Um So, I mean, that, that definitely was, was part of it. I mean, he, does he, cause he's going to have to go through this, these workouts in the spring, like he was injured. So does he make it worse and then not be able to go through the NBA stuff in the spring or not? And and so that did come up, you know, with the last NIT game, but um he really wasn't that way. And again, you, he was a kid that was trying to do everything that Kyle asked him to do, but really didn't know what we were doing. And, and he's in a season when a team is trying to, and he's young, you know, he turned 18 while he was here. It's just, he, let, let's put it this way. If, if I had stayed, he played for the coach that recruited him. He didn't play USA basketball. He worked out with the team all summer. He didn't get injured. I think you would have seen a completely different player. But that's not what happens. So you can't – you know, you, kid's got a new coach. Is he definitely gone? Has he left school? Oh, no, no. He's in school. Um, he's in school, but – is. is there a chance he comes back? Uh, yeah, there's a chance. I'm just looking at it, and I, I haven't spoken to him since the end of the season, but I'm just looking at it like it's going to be a first-round pick. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard for those guys when they know they're going to be first-round picks cuz the guy, all of our guys that stayed extra years they knew they weren't going to be first round picks so they they were they were smart and they just said like hey I I love it here I'm going to get better I'll give myself a chance to get to be a first round pick and I'll and I'll get my degree so that's why they they all stayed if it, and we would tell them like you know if you're guaranteed first round pick go you know, so I, I I haven't talked to him about this, but I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be a first round pick.
0: Uh, Jay, well, you, you know, uh, you, you mentioned that you try to keep your guys away from feeling that kind of pressure. I, first of all, how did you do that in NCAA tournament? And, and secondly, you're you're like you have to be the most humble guy to ever win a championship. I mean, you. You win a championship on a last-second shot, and you're almost embarrassed <laughs> to win it. I'm watching Eric Musselman the other day; he gets to his Sweet 16, takes off his shirt, and swings it. <laughs> like, like how, how did you keep? How do you keep such composure in a situation like that? I really, it, it, it's funny.
3: I, I never heard it explained like that before. I, I wasn't embarrassed, but I almost was in that you know, we hit a shot at the buzzer. I mean, I mean, come on, man, like a crazy shot. And I just know like, it's, it's God's will, man. It's like, it's not like I did anything spectacular. And, and, and I know that, and I know that, and the more, especially being out of it, when I, when we went to our first final four in 09, I thought, you know, I thought, okay, Maybe we'll get to a final four someday. Maybe I didn't have any goals for that. But once you get there, you realize all the breaks that had to happen along the way to get there. So when you get there, I didn't feel like, okay, now I got all the answers. I felt like, wow, I I never realized all the breaks you need to get here. So I didn't know if we'd get back there again. And then when we got back again and we won it, I realized even more, like, look at all the things that happened. You know, the guys, like, all the guys that stayed healthy for us and had big games for us and hit Phil Booth. Our freshman was our leading scorer in the 16 championship game. That never happened in any other game. So you realize there's so much out of your control. And then, you know, I look at last year, I really think we could have won it last year. If we would have had one of those two guys, I mean, we played Kansas got out on us, but we played them tough without two, literally our two of our best players. And, but it just wasn't, it wasn't to be so if you think it's you doing it you're just mistaken you're just wrong it's 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 a lot of great people around you a lot of good breaks it's god's will all you could do is put in a great effort and do the best job you can
0: yeah well you're sure changing yourself a little bit here but uh, how, how did you get your guys to to be so focused when you know we're just talking about how how certain players really good players really good teams get seized by the moment how are you able to talk your guys through that and how are they able to do it we we always told our guys when we would and we would talk about you know
3: we spent every day we had a we had a philosophy dominate their time you know think about when we were 18 to 22 years old left alone at 18 to 22 you're not making good decisions i didn't you didn't Nobody does. So we were were with these guys all the time, and we were constantly trying to impact their decision-making. So we would talk to them all the time about, like, our goal and what we can control is the consistency of how we compete every day. Don't We're not going to evaluate you on what you do in the NCAA tournament. We're not going to evaluate our program. And if you remember, we had some years where we lost in the second round as one seed. And we would talk all the time within our program about like, you know, people are going to kill us. That's, they have the right to do that. We always said, if, if you get killed by the media, you can't complain about it because if not for the media and if not for the fans, we're not playing in front of 20,000 people at the Wells Fargo center. And I would say to them, you like that, right? You like when we're down there as 20,000 people. Yeah. Well, if you like playing in front of them, then you got to take the heat when they complain about you or they boo you or the media criticizes you, you got that comes with it. You can't you don't get everything for free. So, you know, we would say all all we're gonna evaluate ourselves on in these tournaments is do we play hard together, smart and with pride for every second we're on the floor? Do we do that? You know what? There's no reason for us to be nervous about anything. And and that's how and if we lose and someone beats us, they beat us. We're not, we're not evaluating ourselves on how we do in the tournament. And that—that's we constantly talk about
0: that. Yeah, well, you know, and, it, and obviously it worked. Um, you know, here's the question, and everybody probably asked you, uh, will you coach again? Will you have a desire to coach again? I know you can't predict it, but I, you know, I look at guys that step away and and guys that don't want to step away. Like like Bayham ha- had to be pulled away, dragging and screaming, and Patino still like has the desire to coach and gets a big job. <laughs> like these guys, once they're out of coaching. Somehow develop, uh, you know, this this interest to get back in it. They miss it so much. Can you anticipate if that'll happen to you? I really, do, I really
3: don't think it it will. I I really feel like I, um, you know, I just I just had such a great job at Villanova. I loved it so much, and I'm still working there. I'm assistant to the president, but I just don't think any job would interests me that way and I I am looking forward to not being the coach like there's a lot of responsibility being the coach that I I put on myself and I'm sure all coaches do and I just like being a normal guy like I like being able to I can talk to you about who's a favorite what the spread is and, and like when you're coach you can't talk about that stuff you can't be a normal person you know I can go out and have a beer. And if I have two or three and a couple too many, I'm, I'm all right. I'm like, I, I, you know, I, when you're the coach <laughs> of Villanova, you can't do that. You know, you, you, you you have a responsibility for being the head of the program and being a mentor to 18 to 22 year olds. And I just, I, you know, I just don't want to do that anymore.
0: All right. So then here's the next level question. Would not be around twenty-two year olds. But the NBA situation, <laughs> and I know that in the past you've said it doesn't interest you, but you know who these people make offers that sometimes you can't refuse. So would that ever be a possibility? Rule it out or rule it in? No, I, I don't
3: think so. I just, I just don't have it. And that is eighteen to twenty-two year olds coaching the NBA. Um
0: <laughs> you I, well, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> right.
3: I, but I don't. No, I, I just, I don't have an interest. I want to. I want to try this TV thing, see if I, see if I'm good at it. I I like, I like being at the games, talking with the coaches. It's funny. You get to be like the, um, you know, the old sage, you know, you talk to the coach before the game about the team. They don't want to talk about the team. They want to like, Hey, can, look, come on up to my office. I'm going to talk to you about, it. you know, they want to talk to you about, there's no one else they can talk to about their, their careers and what's going on at the school. It's it, It's been fun. And then um, and then have some time off. And you know, I've never had time off. I still haven't had time off yet because <laughs> I didn't have time off between the end of last season and now. Yeah. And so I'm looking for some time off in the uh, in the spring and summer.
0: Uh, you know, I noticed on the set. I, I think you've got the proper demeanor, and I don't know if, if you had a game plan to do this, or you've been coached to do this. You don't blurt in. Like you're there, your presence is there, and when they come to you, you got something to say. But like a lot of guys will overanalyze They'll, they'll blurt in. And like you know, Seth Davis is a great basketball uh, he's a journalist, right? But he he likes to coach sometimes. I'm going. He, he, how are you going to coach better than Jay Wright? He's down at the end of the desk. Like right? he he's, he's throwing in coaching, and you just sit back there and and you know when it when it when you need to say something you say something. So is that how you thought TV would be? Is that? what your plan was or what their plan is like how, how does that transpire it's funny
3: you know they threw me in with all the great ones you know like it's like again so I'm I'm so lucky they're not you know my first games I'm doing with Raff and and Tom McCarthy and then working with Brad Nessler and Ian Eagle and Dito D.D. Spiros and all these guys so I'm working with all then Clark Kellogg and Seth and and Greg Gumbel. So I'm working with all these great guys and what they all tell me is look, I, all right, I know you got all these executive, everybody, everybody, telling you what to do. Just, just be yourself. Just be yourself. Like all the great ones tell me, just be yourself. That's, that's what they want you here for. So that's what I'm trying to do. And as you know, on TV, it's, you know, you, you got, you got to be a good teammate. You know, we're the, the four of us are up there and, and, Everybody's got something to say, so you, you, you got to be a good teammate. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be myself and be a good teammate.
0: Uh, tell me a Raph story because I know, like, when he would come here for your games, that that was a night out, and it was a late night out, and it was dinner, and you know. Uh, but now, if you're working with him multiple times, those nights have to be really long. You got to have stamina to hang with Raph. It's unbe- He's unbelievable. Night before
3: the game, we go out. And no matter where we are, we're in Starkville, Mississippi. He finds a place. We got a place. Brad Nestle. he take all the young production assistants out. He loves it. We're out all night. So finally, I, after like three or four games, and I wake up dying the next day. And we, you know, it's a 12 o'clock game. And we got to, we got to be in there at like 945, you know. And um, finally, I took Patty with me. We did the Kansas TCU game. I said, we went out, me and Raff and I and Eagle and Patty and, Couple other guys, I said, Patty, I'm gonna have a cup, one glass of wine, that's it. And then you hang with him. You you go with him. And Ian Ian had a football game the next day, so he didn't have any drinks. So then Patty hasn't gone on she's like I love him, but I'm not going on a trip to him. I can't do that anymore. I can't hang with him. He can go. <laughs> and then he's perfect the next day. It's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> yeah, he really is. Jay, last last thing. Listen, I'm watching Jalen Brunson and I'm 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 blown away. Oh, he has become an NBA star. I, I thought he's a good player. I didn't think he would be this. Uh, so, I'm, and this is a hard. You've had so many great guards, and because that's what you you looked for. You were a guard man. Uh, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you your top five favorite guards, and you throw in one more. And this is not. I don't want you to slight anybody, but here's what I've observed your your top your top five guards would be Gillespie, Arch, Brunson, Hart. And either Foy or Ray. You left out Kyle Lowry. Oh, Kyle Kyle Lowry. Yeah, that's seven. That's seven guards. Am am
3: I in a ballpark here? Yeah, you're in a ballpark. There's, there's, uh, I mean, Alan Ray...
0: Did you did you say Ray? Yeah, I said Foy and Ray. They, they were the same, the same time. uh um, Archie Jacko Gillespie, who uh, you spotted, like I would have never in a million years thought those guys would have that kind of an effect on college basketball. And then Brunson just had played out of his mind. And Hart, you couldn't complain about it at all. Scotty, like, how
3: about Scotty Reynolds?
0: And Scotty Reynolds. <laughs>
3: yeah. It's tough. It's funny. Like I sit next to Candace Parker. And she always likes the she always likes the big guys. And and then all I say is. I've never, you know, they're talking about the Connecticut team and not having a great point guard, and I, I'm just saying, I know other guys have won without great point guards. All I know is I can't, I can't coach without a great point guard. I know my limits, and I have had the greatest point guards. I've been so blessed. I had Speedy Claxton at Hofstra. Are you kidding me? Jason, Jason Hernandez at Hofstra. Um, everywhere I've always, I, I knew I needed that personally. I knew what I needed, and I've had the best of the best. I've been blessed,
0: and and you looked for those specific skills in that guy because that's how Definitely. you. And you saw you saw stuff in guys that that I I didn't see, and and it's a special talent to to see what those guys could to, could do for your the team that you coach. Uh,
3: yeah, I, I it was you know there's a talent level, and then you really dig into like what's their what's their grit, what's their competitiveness. You know, what's their leadership skills? And all those guys were just killers, man. Just killer. The first day of practice, when I saw Colin Gillespie going at Jalen Brunson, I was like, oh, my God. We were going to redshirt him. And then you just watch those two go against each other. I'm like, hell no, we're not redshirting this kid. He was another one that was young, but he went at – like he came in respectful but just went at Jalen Brunson right away. I was like, whoa. And then Jalen Brunson did the same thing to Archie Diacono. Kyle Lowry came in as a freshman, did the same thing to Randy Foy. You just, you just see it. Mike Nardi's another one we have. We, we've had so many great ones.
0: Yeah, uh, just quick. When you watch Brunson in the NBA, well, like he blows me away. I, I really didn't have any any inkling that he would be this dominant player in this league.
3: It's exactly how he played in high school. He he played for a suburban high school team you know, had some good players, a couple of football players, one other division one basketball player. And they'd go into inner city Chicago and I watch them play uh, Whitney Young High School, which would be like, I don't know, Roman Catholic in Philly or somebody and be undermanned. And he'd go for 50. And I just be, and I remember saying, I, I think Ashley Howard was our assistant at the time, just saying, I've never, we've recruited some great guards, but I've never recruited a high school player this good ever. And it was his competitive – like he wouldn't let his team lose. And I, and I, and he was playing against the best of the best. He would do the same thing in the AU in the summer. He'd have all these great players around him, AU. But as soon as they would get down, all these great stars, they're all one-and-done guys, they'd all crumble, and he'd be the one to lead the team. And he'd get them back in the game, and then he'd distribute and get them the ball. He, he, is, he, he is born – he is born to be this kind of player and to be a leader like this,
0: uh, Jay. Last, last thing, uh, and thanks for spending so much time with us, talking with you, the great Jay Wright. Um, you know, you're living in a time where you're not coaching anymore, and you can be a fan. And this is like high time in Philadelphia. It's something I can't recognize. It's almost like I'm glad not to be on sports talk radio anymore because, like, I can't bitch and moan because everybody's good except the hockey team. It's like, what is what has happened in this city? <laughs> I. See. I say that to everybody outside of, you know, cause I'm
3: down here in Atlanta or I'll be in New York. I just be places and they always, you know, connect me with Philly and Philly fans. And and I'm saying like, we don't know what to do with ourselves. It's just, (laughs) we've never enjoyed this type of success. And we just live on being miserable and complaining and dissecting and bitching. And we don't even know what to do. Like this, going from the phillies to the eagles like we didn't even bitch that we lost the two games we, we normally we would be complaining we actually are starting to appreciate these the the effort of these players and the commitment of these teams it, and it's like it's like we're losing our identity i don't know what to, i don't know i don't know how to explain it
0: yeah. I I can't handle it. Uh, you know, are, I, really, I really can't. I mean, you know, you go in the street and it's like uh, every, everybody's singing songs. Uh, you know, I, like, there'll be, there'll be something to bitch about. I don't know if it's the, the Sixers is the next team to make some bitch or, or whatever, but you know, I'm just waiting for it to, to come. Hey, listen, man, thanks for spending time with us. Uh, uh have fun tonight. We'll be watching and, uh, uh, we'll see how this turns out. And by the way, go Villanova women with that superstar Maddie sneakers on your campus.
3: How about that? She she's a stud, and and I'm telling you, Denise Dillon, this coach, she reminds me of a young Pat Summit. I'm telling you, she she is the real deal. She she is tough. She's smart. She's committed. They're they're good, man, and they're gonna they're gonna remain. Good because she recruits. She's she's really good.
0: Yeah, you got to get some tall people on that campus, though. <laughs> you now I'm watching UConn. They got monsters, <laughs> right? And poor Villanova is trying to go up against them. <laughs> She'll get them. Yeah. Jay, thanks again, man. We'll, we'll talk down the road. Maybe we're running into each other this summer. All right, buddy. Good talking to you.
1: It's the Mike Rusinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: All thanks to the great Jay Wright, the former Villanova coach, a couple national championships in his holster, uh, a, a legendary Hall of Fame coach. Uh, and You know what? If I was him, maybe I wouldn't want to coach either. I got several million banked away. I got a place at the Jersey Shore. I can hang out the rest of my life. Why would I want the pressure of coaching? But you never know. You know, these guys, they get away from coaching. It's in their blood. They have to come back. But Jay says, nah, well, probably not going to happen. But thanks to Jay for joining us. I, uh, my relationship with Jay Wright goes way back. Uh, we're both uh, from uh, Lower Bucks County, and uh, he was my go-to guy. He was an assistant at Villanova University way back in the day. I was covering college basketball, uh, assistant to Rolly Massimino. And when I would always get in trouble with Rolly Massimino because we, we'd crash heads on a daily basis, here would come Jay to be the mediator. Mike, why you gotta do this with Coach? <laughs> so, in any event, It's funny. I'll tell you one quick story. Uh, so, I'm the Maui Classic, and uh, Jay Wright's the youngest assistant for Rolly Massimino, and I'm at, I'm poolside the whole time. And you know, the, we were at the I forget it was a Hyatt Regency or something. And I'm out there, and I see Rolly out there. He's frolicking around. I don't see his assistants not one minute the whole time we're there. This is like an eight day venture. So, so I finally, I finally see Jay Ray. I go, Jay, wait, come by the pool or do something. He goes, "We're not allowed. We're we're in there preparing." He won't let us. He won't let us out. <laughs> I don't think they saw a ray of sunshine. The whole Maui Classic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's. Uh, first of all, we didn't get a chance to tell you about the great people of Bet Rivers who sponsored this podcast. So I want to tell you right now that uh, you can make your. I made a couple bets already. I made a bet in early. I got Kansas State over Michigan State. I think this Michigan State thing shuts down. And I just took an outright. I took Arkansas over UConn in an outright. UConn's slightly favored tonight. I think the Razorback, Pig Soey, wins the game tonight. All right. Uh, it, so Bet Rivers app. And of course we got the Piccadelphia contest going on where you can win a hundred dollar gifts gift card. Uh, if you get the most correct wins, just go. Then these are all teams that are uh Philadelphia area. So uh, Sixers Flyers are involved and um uh, I guess there's no teams left in the NSA tournament, but any uh, Philly area athletes competing in individual sports are eligible. Just go to the website betriversforfree.com, and you can play the contest. That's betrivers for the number four free.com. All right, let's go into some current events. And of course, we just witnessed, we talked about the world baseball classic on Tuesday. It was the day of the championship game. And of course, the championship game evolves and it comes down to the to the great moment of Shea Otani against his teammate Mike Trout with two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning with Japan clinging to a a one-run lead or two-run lead. And, uh, you know, um, uh, it it was a dramatic at-bat. And, uh, you know, the WBC was just fabulous from from top to bottom. And and in a way, we'll look at the at-bat in a second, but in a way, losing uh, to Japan – Will fuel a better team three years down the road. they're going to do it again in 2026. The one thing they had we- that was a weakness was starting pitching and pitching in general. Now, hopefully, just like when it happened with the dream team, when the Americans got beat with the college kids, they had to bring the pros in and send the message that we dominate this sport. this is our sport. And so I think the same thing can happen. I think general managers have to relent, and I think players to stop being babies and stop worrying about getting hurt in the WBC and play for the country for one gosh-damn period of two weeks. So maybe these starting pitchers will increase in 2026. 20, and I think it will. I think there's going to be a lot of player pressure to get these these pitchers involved. So that's the, the, the lasting impression I have. Now, uh, it, it, uh, Mike Trout was not happy with that at-bat. I mean, Mike Trout did that. Like, he wasn't ready to frolic and basking the glow of the WBC and how wonderful it would be. He wasn't ready to do that and bow to Otani. He was damn pissed that he swung and missed at three pitches. He didn't foul anything off. He missed two hittable fastballs, and then that slider was an all-world slider, and he missed that too. Now, uh, uh, there were a lot of bad at-bats during the course of that game, and I was disappointed in, in the Americans when they had the runners in scoring position. They just didn't deliver. They, they really succumbed to Japanese pitching. And those Japanese guys, I'll tell you one thing. They throw hard, but they, have, they all have splitters, and they're tough to figure out. But, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, and he's in the middle of the order. He killed them in the middle of the order. And he killed the Cardinals against the Phillies. I don't know if he's a clutch player or not, but he looked way overmatched. It's a shame. Now, Mookie Betts came up, hit it hard, but it was a double play ball. After they got the leadoff runner on. So it comes down to Otani and Trout, and Otani beats Trout. in a great moment. And you saw the WBC's TV ratings were sky high. So all these people that bitch and moan, that's a terrible thing. I, it, it was great. Like w- Otherwise, what, we're we going to subject to boring spring training? But well, spring training is boring. We can't wait for that to get over. So the season starts. So here, it, within spring training, is this compelling tournament between nations. I thought it was fantastic. And I love the timing of it. People say, oh, the timing's not good. You gotta, It's perfect. And these guys are worried about ramping it up too early. What's the difference? You're 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 going to be in a competitive situation. It's not like you're going to overthrow. They're limiting your pitch count. You're in high-leverage situations. That should help you get prepared for a season. All right, that's just the way I look at it, all right? Uh, now, uh, by the way, I, I'm left with one clock. I'm still trying to figure out how Lars Newtbar figures into the Japan lineup. Uh, and I'm trying to <laughs> – he's – he was born in California, right? Like, I don't know what his Japanese ancestry is. He gets, uh, he gets pulled in. He's a starting lineup, starting center fielder. And I'm wondering to myself, like, how would I feel I, if I was a really good player in the Japanese league and, and, and I uh, have to give my spot up to this American or the, what, what do they call him, the Gajin? Uh, like, how am I going to feel I'm a Japan guy? I am the Lars Newpark get in, involved in that. He can't, even, he can't even communicate with his team. Well, anyway, uh, that's my WBC situation. All right, so anyway, let's move on to the Sixers. All right, the Sixers are a half game behind the Celtics. Uh, and uh, right now in the playoffs, they would play either the Nets or the Heat. Shouldn't be a problem. And in the second round, most likely they're going to play the Celtics. Uh, all right, so whatever happens, happens. Um, their schedule is really tough, starting with Friday night. And they play at the Warriors, then at the Suns, and at the Nuggets. The Warriors and Suns are back-to-back. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to bet a zillion dollars against the Sixers on Saturday on a back-to-back. I don't think, like, they'll probably beat the Warriors. I don't know who's going to play hard probably sits out, but they probably still beat the Warriors. Uh, and a back-to-back at the Suns, I don't know who's going to play in that game. So I'll take the Suns and at the Nuggets, I think they'll store up to play at the Nuggets with that Embiid-Jokic uh, 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 bash. So the Sixers get really interesting over the next several days, uh, pay attention. Meanwhile, the Phillies, um, we haven't paid that much attention to the Phillies except for the news that Bryce Harper may be back sooner than later, but the pitching staff suddenly has some woes. Uh, Now, on paper, before we started spring training, everything was hunky-dory. Now, all of a sudden, Painter is no longer going to be the fifth starter. The Taiwan Walker got crushed uh, yesterday, Uh, and now Ranger Suarez. They're keeping him out for a little bit. So uh, 3-4-5 seems to be in a little precarious shape which means you're probably going to get Strom as a starter, and you're probably going to get my least favorite pitcher on that whole roster, and that's Bailey Falter. Uh, I, I get I'm i sorry. I Listen, I, I, well, he's all right, Mike. I hear you speak. Well, why don't you like Bailey Falter? Because he throws pus. That's why. That's why I don't like Bailey Falter. He's got nothing.
1: It's the Mike Nassonelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Mike Unleashed. Some topics that are on my mind. All right, let's start with uh, a couple of uh, TV shows that I'm interested in. I'm watching one of it, one of them, and it's really compelling. I don't know if anybody's out there watching. It just started on Netflix, uh, the documentary on Waco. It's called Waco, and it's got a subtitle. I forget what it is, but it's on Netflix. And, it, of course, is the 93 situation with the ATF and the FBI. Uh, it's the Branch Davidians led by David Koresh and uh, the Mayhem. That ensued. It is absolutely fantastic. You gotta watch it. And I don't know if people remember what happened back then, but um uh, here's here's the the short and long of it. So Koresh has this cult down there and you know we've seen these cults before. He's down there. Um word gets out that somehow they're stockpiling weapons because a uh a FedEx package gets broken open and they see some empty grenades in it that are going to this address. So off they alert the ATF. The ATF now wants to get the element of surprise and serve a warrant that they have all these weapons in there. Well, a mailman, a TV guy, is, is trying to track where this is going on, and he he, he gets lost to where the compound is. A mailman comes down the street, and he says, well, the mailman must know where this is. He asks the mailman. The mailman happens to be a Branch Davidian. The brand civilian roars back to the compound alerts Koresh. They stockpile all their weapons and take ready positions. The ATF shows up and this is the big thing in this thing. Who shot first? The ATF unleashes random bullets on the compound thinking that somebody in the compound shot first. Now, I don't know if that happened or not, but it turned into mayhem and, uh, and a gunfight like it was world war 2 and and finally, they they get them to back off. They get a ceasefire because four ATF agents are killed. Some Vidians got shot in the whole thing. They're trying to get the wounded out of there. But you got to see the dynamic of this called Waco if you don't understand it. Because now we're, we're going into modern day and what could possibly happen here with this Trump indictment and whether people would would uh, uh, like whether he would hold off and Marta Mar- Lago and whether his supporters would. Have, but you got to see this because. You know, these history lessons that we, that we should all go by. We should all know about them. And not many people really know the letter and verse of this Waco thing, but you gotta see Waco the documentary. I highly recommend it. Now, tomorrow, uh I interested in another documentary. It's called Reggie. Reggie Jackson documentary is coming out it's starting Friday on Prime Video. Now I going to tell you that Reggie Jackson was my absolute favorite player as a kid. I was fascinated by Reggie Jackson. I knew he was from here, which gave it uh, you know an extra stamp. When well, he started with the Oakland A's, and he was this sleek left-handed like cobra, and he's smashing home runs. He had like thirty home runs at the All Star break. I was fascinated by him. I convinced my father to take me to Yankee Stadium to see the Yankees play the A's, and he hits a freaking home run again. It was like one of the moments of my youth. I was always compelled by Reggie, so I'm looking forward to that documentary. It's on Friday. Just wanted to give you an alert. All right, last thing on Mike Unleashed. This is so disturbing. I don't even know, like in the year 2023. And it's, it has to do with Sports Talk Radio. Sports producer, uh, one of the shows up at WDEEI, which is a sports talk radio station in Boston. They were doing some kind of a bit about what would, is it, what would be your favorite nip, meaning wh- what kind of shot would you take? Whiskey. What's your favorite nip to take a shot of? So everybody goes through in their name and they're naming whiskeys and this producer blurts in and he says Mina Kimes. Now that is a blatant racist statement that he makes. He comes out yesterday and said he didn't mean Mina Kimes. He meant Mila Kunis. Like that's going to matter. This is my point about people, white people in general. I've tried to talk about and and people that annoyed. like people would would come at me for being anti-white and I'd go, What are you coming at me to be anti-white in the year 2023? How do you not know that that's a slur? How do you not have that much of a filter in your brain? You're not educated enough to know that that is a slur against someone's culture and race. How were you brought up? And my only conclusion is that these people are so devoid of other people's worlds. They were so brought up in white world that they have no concept of what an insult is, what a racial insult is. That came out of that guy naturally. He's a he's a grown adult male. How in the world would he have lived this many years and live in the year 2023 and not know that that was an inappropriate thing to say? And it just sickens me. I, I just don't understand the ignorance that's out there from certain white people. Get control of yourself. There are other people in this world that need to be respected. That guy got suspended for a couple of days. Big whoop. He needs a brain transplant. He needs to have a chip inside his brain so he can refilter everything that he didn't learn. All right. That's Mike Unleashed for today.
1: It's the Mike Nassonelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Let's go into our closing thought for today. A couple closing thoughts. Um, my number one thought is uh, this. I was in a 7-Eleven yesterday to pick up uh, something. Cake or something. Tasty cake. And uh, I you know, so so Seven Eleven has all these uh, foods now on their counter, like they sell the chicken wings and and and, and, uh, and so there's a sign advertising, and it says uh, pepperoni pizza, eight dollars. Now, uh, first of all, I would never buy a pizza from Seven Eleven, but if I did, it occurred to me that isn't an eight dollar price on a pepperoni pizza from Seven Eleven a little high of a price? Darren, let me come to you for this. $8 pepperoni pizza at 7-Eleven. I mean, that's got to be a maximum $5 pizza. Yeah,
2: you, you touched a nerve with me with this because you're know, 7-Eleven and you're know, Wawa getting into dinner. With, who goes to Wawa for a pizza, man? There's a good pizza joint every six and a half
0: feet in this. Well, pizza. they sell these pizzas. I, I I, mean, believe me, they sell slices of pizza at 7-Eleven. I've seen, I've seen people buy. They go in there, they can't resist, they grab a slice of pizza. But isn't the price of $8 high for a 7-Eleven pizza?
2: It's incredibly high. And it, it could be $3, and it would be too high for that garbage. Yeah, $3 would not be high.
0: $5 would not be high.
2: 8 is high. For that, I, I take Umbuds. I really do. You hit a nerve here because, you know, Maria's family's in the pizza business. There's so many good pizzerias in this area. Wawa's got balls. 7-Eleven's got balls in this market to, to try and sell pizza and then to $8 for a pepper. I, I mean, that really bothers me. It really
0: does. Hey, listen, people love pizza. Everybody wants to sell it. And so people are going to buy it at while wild 7-Eleven, but $8. Now I'm out. Uh, all right. My final closing thought for today, I'm trailing a guy in a car the other day. And I look, he's got bumper, several bumper stickers, uh, on, on the back of his car. Now, I don't understand the concept of bumper stickers, right? Um, Like what statement do you feel you need to make with a bumper sticker? (laughs) Like I don't get it. Like the mindset of putting a bumper sticker in your car, number one, you're defacing your car. Uh, Number two, what what statement are you making? Like why do you feel the need to make that bumper sticker statement? So the bumper sticker statement that I focused on was he's driving a Versa. You know, it's a Nissan. It's a small car, economy car. And the bumper sticker says – I heart boring cars. And I'm going like I that's a guy I would like to sit down and talk to because I would like to know what would compel him to get a bumper sticker that said I heart boring cars and then put it on his car as if to make a statement to the world. Like I that's that's it's not the bumper sticker per se, it's the mindset of putting the bumper sticker on the car and it's the mindset of putting this particular bumper sticker on the car. And I kind of feel the same way about vanity license plates. What statement, why do you feel you need to make the statement to others with a bumper sticker or a vanity license plate? And I'll take, listen, if you're one of those people, I would like you to email me. And if your email is compelling enough, I want to put you on the podcast because I think it would be a fascinating uh, uh, philosophical discussion on why people feel the need to project that view onto to other people with a bumper sticker. I'm just I'm like totally fascinated by it. So, Darren, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I think Cosmo Kramer gets the exception with Ass Man because he is the Ass Man, right? But that wasn't his. <laughs> it was a mistake. Uh, yeah, it was the uh, it was the it was the fanny dog was the proctologist. Proctologist. I, I don't I, I first of all. I was taught a long time ago that every bumper sticker devalues a car by about $500. I have on the back glass of my truck. I have a little like salt life thing. Cause you know me, I'm all about the Island life. I'm always down the shore. I don't, I think, uh, first of all, bumper stickers junk up a car generally. Number two, it's a boring car. It's a boring stick. Like why are you promoting the fact that you're boring? If you want to get to this one particular guy, you have a boring car, and you're telling people that you enjoy boring cars. What is the point of that? What are you, what message are you trying to get across? I'm a boring individual. All right,
0: so uh, so the bottom line is I would like to have a conversation. I want, I want to have a conversation with these people. I would love for you, if you're a bumper sticker man or if you're a <laughs> uh, a vanity license plate man, I would like you to email me at mike at mikemiss.com. And I want to, I'm, I'm really serious. I'm not trying to make fun of you. I want to, I love the way people think differently. And I want to go because that thought has never even occurred to me that I would put a bumper sticker on. Here's the thought that's occurred to me. I I really have had this thought that I would have a, uh, a, a uh, digital sign that would project on the driver's side of my, my backseat window that I could program to say, Get in the right fucking lane. <laughs> like, because there's nothing more that annoys me than somebody who is cruising in the passing lane when I want to pass in the lane. So I then would love to have this sign if I get in the middle lane and to get them the message to have that digital scroll that says "Get in the right lane." What about <laughs> move o- or move the f over? What? That's the only thing. But I would never think of putting a bumper sticker. Or having a vanity license plate. All right. Oh, my,
2: Maria's here in our conversation right now. She brings up the truck nuts. How about those? How obnoxious is that?
0: Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, the, the guy with the testicles hanging from the from the hitch. Like, uh, dude. Like, I would love to speak to these people. I want to know what goes through their head and why they think that that's mildly amusing.
2: What about, like, the border of a plate? You know, like it might, you might say it's a Philadelphia your Phillies or Philadelphia your Eagles, a little border that goes around. Those are fine.
0: Oh, that's fine. I have those. That's fine. Yeah, that's. I don't care about the border. All right, that, that'll do it for today. I got some stuff off my chest today. Thanks so much to Jay Wright. Again, email me. I'm telling you, I want to talk to you bumper sticker people. Mike at Mike com. You can follow me on Twitter. Mike miss two five. If you're inclined to give me uh, have me give you a shout out, just go to cameo.com type my name in there. I'll give you a personalized shout out. You got spring coming up so you can visit the winery, uh, Natalie vineyards, which I'm part owner of and, well, we got some really good events that are planned for down there coming up soon. It's a nice place to go down. Our, our spiffed up wine tasting room. It's very cool. we to be spending a lot of time down there this summer. In fact, I'm headed down tomorrow morning to hang out with the people down there. And I, I think that's about it. Have we covered everything today, Darren? Yeah. Big thanks to
2: Jay Wright. Doesn't get as big as uh, as Jay Wright right now with the tournament Sweet Sixteen. So. Good interview. Jay's
0: the best. I love him. All right, everybody, have a great rest of the day. you got to rain for the next couple days, so I guess you got to stay inside, and maybe Sunday when the sun comes out, you can reemerge. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Tell your friends and neighbors the Mike Missanelli podcast sponsored by Bet Rivers, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.